Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, Mr. Tell Me I've Been in a Punk Rock Band Without Telling Me I've Been in a Punk Rock Band. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> All these things I'm picking up from these TikTokers. How to make us oh. relevant. Oh, whatever. Fuck that kid. <laughs> Listen. Look at Kyrie. I love it. Look at my boy. I never thought this bobblehead would come in handy. I went to a game with Ian Perkins. We played a venue across the stadium. I saw Cavs, Knicks. There was no one there. I sat like second row for about 25 bucks. <laughs> and now I finally got to take my Kyrie out of the box and display him proudly. Maybe that should be the new logo of, of the NBA since Kyrie's trying to reinvent everything. <laughs> not the best idea. Let's not make Kyrie, as much as I love him, in the last few weeks have been buttery smooth. Oh, man. Let's not go ahead and make him the uh, spokesperson of the league. It's probably a bad idea. But what's up with you, man? How's your week? Great, great. Feeling great. You know what the cool thing about being 40 is, Denny? It's like just the daily knowledge that you were very much most likely half done with your life just kind of (laughs) makes you enjoy. It's easier to find that like, oh, I'm doing nothing right now. But you know what? Nothing is better than something terrible. And I should probably enjoy this for a little bit. So there's some cool perspective that comes with becoming old, you know? I would love to have that perspective. Like, I can write that perspective in different projects that I'm working on, but I can't live that perspective. So that's a fucking fine line. (laughs) I can say it from personal experience. You you only get there when you get there. Yeah. You can't force it. That's a fact. (laughs) Man, you you know who probably gained a lot of experience and, you know, life kind of setting in actually recently is, is our guy Tiger, man. Mm. Did you see that this week? That was awful. You know, the guy just, car got away from him, and next thing you know, he's rolling down the hill. Yeah, and it's the same as, you know, we're going to talk later with the NBA logo thing. You get these highlights into superstars in sports that they're just people, people who can fucking crash their cars and get messed up, and then all of a sudden, sports and celebrity have nothing to do with it. Just just a, a man's health and uh, trying to get back to his family, you know? Yeah, my uh, buddy uh, Sam Farmer, the L.A. Times, was on CNN the other day, and he pointed out, and I, I, I didn't even think of this when I first heard the story, uh, Ben Hogan, you know, the great golfer, late yeah, in his yeah. life, got in, you know, uh, tail end collision, messed up his back and his body, couldn't really play golf again. The similarities, similar age, kind of eerie, you know? Yeah, and it's kind of strange in sort of a Tupac Machiavelli sort of thing the comments tiger was making just a couple days before the accident where he Mm. was talking about his back and kind of like yeah you know we'll see he was you if you felt like it you could have alluded to the fact that he was telling you he can't play anymore yeah um so you know who knows? Or maybe, maybe the hoax is in. Maybe El- he's oh, hey, the healthy tiger is on an island with Elvis and Tupac somewhere. After the past year, I think I I think we're better than conspiracy theories. Oh no, we're all in one right now. <laughs> Who knows? Well, Who knows? speaking of Elvis, Tupac, conspiracy theories. Let's get into this day in music history. Do, 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 do. Well, these artists are probably very apropos for what I'm going to talk about. So, <laughs> okay. So in 19, uh, around 1907, Theodore Roosevelt expressed the need for a complete revision of copyright law, and they instilled the Copyright Act of 1909, which uh, stayed relevant all the way until it changed in 1976. 
Now, they tried to start changing this law in 1955. Hmm. So for 20 years there, there was incredibly murky water where the industry realized that these archaic laws were no longer suiting the industry and it took 20 years to change. Now, the major thing about that was if you had copywritten licensed material uh, in the act of 1909, it was free and clear for anybody to take it and reuse it mm. as long as you gave them mechanicals. But you didn't need to get permission. You could just take someone's song. And that changed in 1976 where it needed to change. But the thing that stood out the most to me about this, and it's something I don't know if everybody knows. So in the Copyright Act of 1909, it allowed works to be copywritten for a period of 28 years. In 1976 the pre-existing renewal term went up another 28 years to a maximum of 56 years. But remember, that means now that we're coming up on 2021, anything made like into the late 60s mm. now, early 70s, is becoming wide open for anyone's use. These copyright laws go away. And there's super relevant music that is still in the fabric of life and the world and these very important songs that I think year to year you're going to be hearing commercials and stuff and be like oh I haven't heard this song in a while yeah. and it's probably because this artist copyright finally died so I think uh, this day in music history in 2022 should be another <laughs> fucking <laughs> amendment to the copyright laws to have us artists stop being screwed. Now, explain this to me. So if you sign a contract with a label, they can own everything in perpetuity, right? Like till the end of time, till, you know, the dinosaurs come back or whatever. Why is it that if it's, you know, a, your copyright with like the U.S. government on things, why does that not hold over in, in perpetuity as well? <laughs> well, right. So like, you're talking <laughs> about the protection of a business versus yeah. the protection of an artist. Yeah. So it's pretty clear. Yeah, if they pay for your recording, they own that recording in perpetuity. But I do still think that the label itself and those songs itself would fall subject to this 56 years yeah. uh, thing. And the only difference there is that the person who licenses it after might have to pay them instead of you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, they're still probably under that umbrella as well. Boy, we talk on this podcast about quote unquote generational wealth all the time. You want to take care of generations, have this thing carry over. Come on, U.S. government. We're better than this. I like to think <laughs> we're better than this, at least. I'd like to think so. All right, Benny, on this day in 1966, I'm going to keep it right here in Jersey City, all right? Nancy Ooh. Sinatra went number one with These Boots Are Made for oh. Walking. All right, the song was written by Lee uh, Hazelwood, uh, intended for him to record himself, but then Sinatra talked him out of it. Uh, which is pretty cool. I was looking all over the internet. I was wondering, because you know, I watched the music video for this for the 60s. Pretty scandalous. I was wondering what Frank thought about all of this. But he was probably too busy jet-setting all, all over the world to pay this any attention. The cool thing about this song, though, is it was recorded by and using the Wrecking Crew in Los Angeles. Right. How about that? So it's one of those right. famous songs that they got to touch on. And... The Wrecking Crew documentary on Hulu, I think it's pretty much everywhere by now. Great doc. Go check it out if you haven't. I have a feeling Frank was into it. The more and more I learn about Frank Sinatra, his morals were loose. Yeah. You know what I mean? Were they he loose was like or were they progressive? Like the proper, 
He's, he kind of seemed to be a person who really did appreciate the underbelly of things, mm. you know? So I get the impression he, uh, he would have been okay with that song. Maybe yeah. even helped with it. Yet hated rock and roll. Go figure. Figuring that that was the bridge too far that he wasn't going to go to. <laughs> anyway, whatever. All right, Benny. He hated at- rock and roll because it was bad for business. That's true. Though, man, imagine, I'll tell you what, if, if he did like one of those, like a, like a Tony Bennett and like, <laughs> like, like how Tony Bennett teams up yeah. with Gaga, if he did that in like sure. the 70s with like, sure. I don't know, a Motown artist, oh man, then you've got another 20 years of, of your career where you can sure. sell out and smoke and drink and do yeah, all Yeah, like all Frank stuff. Sinatra and like 80s Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Oh, that would have been- What would have happened there? Incredible. Could have been fun. The fact that we never got a Sinatra-Bruce thing is a little upsetting, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. All right, Benny, well, we mentioned Bruce- at a virtual hearing Wednesday related to charges stemming from Bruce Springsteen's DWI arrest at, a, at Sandy Hook National Park in November, uh, the U.S. government dismissed charges of DWI and reckless endangerment against a singer. As part of the hearing, the attorneys for Springsteen's legal team agreed to plead guilty to consuming alcohol in a closed area. During the hearing, Springsteen admitted to having, quote-unquote, two small shots of tequila. I love that. That's a a classy-ass way to say that you were drinking in public. This all (laughs) happened, as we said, at Sandy Hook Gateway National Recreation Area. Uh, However, the judge overseeing the case noted that up to three summers ago, alcohol at this particular park was legal. So this is a new law, so that's pretty interesting to see. And I'm guessing Bruce hasn't been around Sandy Hook in a minute, probably thought it was still the same as 1976. Anyway... (laughs) In the case of the United States versus Bruce Springsteen, which that, that'd be a great name for a movie, uh, the singer was firmly charged with operating a vehicle while under the influence, reckless driving, and consuming alcohol in a closed area. So, Benny, what do you make of this whole thing? I know it, it's all kind of said and, and done now, but, yeah, quite the mark in New Jersey history right here. Yeah, so, you know, uh, this has obviously been talked about a lot. We don't have to get into it too deep, but... Something is pretty clear to me uh, that happened. And it turns out that, of course, in classic Bruce Springsteen fashion, it's going to add to the narrative of Bruce Springsteen (laughs) even more. Yeah. So from what I can gather from all the information that's coming out now (laughs) is that Bruce Springsteen by himself rode his motorcycle into Sandy Hook Lighthouse (laughs) and Gateway National Recreation Area was cruising around, saw a bunch of fans drinking. They either stopped him, he went up to them, they shared a moment, he had a shot of tequila with them in front of a cop, cruised off on his motorcycle, and was harassed by the police afterwards. Now, he was well under the legal limit. Uh Uh, Maybe they were making a show because he took a shot right in front of their faces or... You know, they thought it was some like, you know, open fuck you to them. Maybe they're super blue lives matter and they fucking hate Bruce. Who knows? Who knows what it could be? It could be a lot of things. But what's clear is that Bruce Springsteen is still cool as fuck (laughs) riding around on his motorcycle and taking random shots with his fans. (laughs) I mean, this is like the biggest fucking rock star in the world. And he's doing that. So guilty not guilty jeep cops don't give a fuck the actual story itself still tells me something about bruce springsteen that i quite like 
Now, in the hierarchy of, you know, New Jersey history there, I feel like the Sinatra mugshot from, you know, like uh, like yeah. the 20s and 30s is like up there. My question is, do we have a Springsteen mugshot here? And the interesting thing I found about this entire story, because we didn't talk about it when it was initially reported, it came out, I think, courtesy of the New York Post the day after that Super Bowl commercial mm-hmm. came out, which, you know, we, we all know the political leanings of the New York Post. Yeah. Just an interesting, a, a interesting story about how Springsteen, once again, in the political crosshairs of the opposition. It's not interesting. It's obvious. You know? Yeah. They went after the guy. Yeah. In this case, it just seems so transparent that anybody on each side knows exactly what happened, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, we brought up politics. We brought up Bruce Springsteen on Monday. Spotify released the first two episodes of Renegades, born in the USA, featuring the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama, and the singer who, you know, I think people know born in the USA. So in Renegades, which will release six subsequent episodes weekly, the two men speak intimately and expansively. I love I, I, I love PR releases when they try to get sexual. Mm. A little sexual chocolate over here. Like race, fatherhood, and the painful divisions that persist in American society. Uh, so this guy is thinking here at the tune-up. If podcasts existed, what former president or and cultural icon would you like to see team up to be podcast partners? Yeah. It's pretty interesting. So I, I thought of a couple cross-cultural mixes here that could have been interesting because it's not like Obama and Bruce here is sitting down for one of those, you believe in one thing, <laughs> I believe in another, and we're going to yeah. find common ground. This is two guys who are pretty pretty in sync. Right. This is more like listen to these two sage old men, and we're going to convince you to think like us. Hmm. You know, what I'd like to see in these podcasts is a little more discourse, mm. right? So I was thinking in the heyday of uh, uh, gangster rap and it coming into pop culture, who would have been more perfect than Bill Clinton and Chuck D? Mm. Right? Nice podcast. Could be interesting. That could happen now. I th- that still could happen. <laughs> I thought about uh, your boy Frank Sinatra, maybe, maybe hanging out with JFK a little bit. <laughs> Just don't you invite know? Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> I'm saying that could get hot. Frank and JFK, like, I bet they weren't seeing eye to eye on Cuba and Russia. Like, who knows? That probably would have gotten pretty hot. I did think of either George Bush, and I guess this is a testament to the length of his career, but either George Bush with Garth Brooks, just to, you know, listen to some some slow malaise Southern boys <laughs> drink like some kind of shitty beer peppered with lemonade or something. And, you know, try to give us that side of the story. But those are the few I have. What do you got? Anyway? I love it. Well, I'm going to keep it New Jersey and then I'm going to bring in essentially, you know, the, the grandfather of the podcast. That's right. FDR is famous fireside chat, <laughs> a eloquent spokesman, you know, really got to the heart of the issues. You know, really kind of made the president accessible for almost the first time. FDR, because of its nature of the time, is kind of a complicated relationship with race, did a lot of great things. But I think him talking to former Rutgers football star and later actor Paul Robeson would have been an interesting thing here. Uh, For those of you that don't know Paul Robeson, he was the first African-American ever top billy white actor in the Emperor Jones movie. Uh, The the success of the film kind of opened the door for a lot of people. 
you'd probably know him from the musical Showboat, the Old Man River song. I feel speaking of public domain before that that song is used time and time and time again. Uh, also, he later to note, be- Denny, what? to note, Paul Robeson did a little time in the town of Somerville, New Jersey. That's right, birthplace and hometown of yours truly. We we always keep it in the family here. We always keep it in, in the family. <laughs> but uh, his career for you know during the McCarthy era of politics was kind of cut short. Uh, people kind of looked at him as a pro-Soviet person. I mean that you can connect the dots on the racism here in in that era. But these two talking about race in the 1930s, kind of right after after the the depression, I think would be interesting. Kind of right after the Depression and right before FDR signs and in states of Fair Employment Practices Committee could be pretty interesting because that kind of helped black people in, in this country a little bit too. So those two talking about the realities of race, especially 20s and 30s, huge time for, for the KKK. So it would have been an interesting conversation. That would be hot. That would be hot. <laughs> I love how you called him the, the grandfather of the modern podcast. I mean, fireside Fair chats. Yeah. I thought you were to say Bill Simmons. You oh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, second topic today. Betting, let's get into the NBA All-Star game. The reserves were announced on Tuesday. If you missed it, the coaches voted Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Paul George, Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and Zion Williamson as your Western Conference reserves. In the East, the coaches voted for James Harden, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Julius Randle, your boy Nikola Vucevic, Zach Levine, and I guess my guy. I do not want to be staking my claim on the flag of Ben Simmons Mountain, but I guess for the sake of this podcast, I am Ben Simmons and an all-star. Trust Benny, me, someone's going to have to stick that flag. Gosh, it's not right. going to be me. <laughs> Benny, what do you make of this? Notable snubs here. Uh, Chris Paul, Trey Young, what do you make of this? Coach has got it wrong, but what would you have liked to see? All right, so this is a tough year. Yeah, I think there is a lot of people right on the edge there, and you can make a strong case for a few people. So uh, I don't think you should go nuts. There could be a lot of mistakes, and a lot of people got snubbed. So I'm going to highlight the two that I think are the uh, the most obvious and the ones I'd like to see the most. The one I'm most passionate about, mm-hmm. as you know, is the fact that Trey Young is an all star. Yeah, it's insane to me that this guy's not in the all-star game for a variety of reasons not even just the fact of his play on the court which i'm going to talk about but the same reason zion needed to be in this all-star game is the same reason trey young needs to be in the all-star game it's the all-star game yeah he is the most fun and electric point guard in the league even if you don't like him and he's perfect for this game you just want him there yeah you know and beyond that He's in a hotbed city. Mm-hmm. Uh, hometown a, game for him. Yeah, hometown game. The whole deal. There's no reason Trey Young can't be in. Now, let me back it up even more with the fact that he's eighth in the NBA in scoring. Mm-hmm. This isn't just the East. Eighth in the NBA in scoring. Third in the NBA in assists. This is the entire NBA. Ben Simmons is 11th in the league in assists and just over 15 points a game with his obvious scoring limitations. Right. Trey's got a PER of nearly 24. Ben is under 21. And this is with Joel Embiid having a career year. Like, literally, everything everyone's been waiting for from Joel Embiid for years Uh is happening right now. That's the reason the Sixers are that good. 
if there's an even more important player as a number two on that team, it's Tobias Harris yeah. and not Ben Simmons right now. And on top of that, the Hawks are in the same company as everyone who's from four to 11 in the East. They're right around 500. They're playing pretty well. They're, uh, they're, they're in the green and plus minus, and they're, they're not like a tanking team. They're a playoff competitive team. For all these reasons, I think it's a sham huh. that Trey Young is not in the All-Star game and Ben Simmons is. And this has nothing to do with my obvious Philadelphia bias. Yeah, no. I mean, you're exactly right, but the thing I'm going to say, you know, it's a, it's historical precedent that if you had that the your first half is rewarded at the All-Star break, I know what you're saying about Tobias Harris, but that isn't going to be the way. Like, fans are not going to vote. For as much as we want to talk about it, fans aren't going to vote for Tobias Harris over Ben Simmons. That's just not the way that the marketing has worked. And Listen, listen, one thing, real quick, okay? If there's anything the last four years should have taught us, (laughs) it's that we should not be doing things ever because that's the way it used to be done or the historical precedents. It doesn't make it correct just because they used to reward a team no, towards you the top. They're only a half game above the Nets anyway. And, and and you have to put this other guy in who over a much more well-deserving player? I don't buy it. No, because, hold on, Benny, you, you've got to re- reward the teams because otherwise you could have a way underperforming team, but they have superstars. Like, like say, say if the Clippers were just awful, mm-hmm. Kawhi, Paul George, all of these people would still get in why? Because of the fan vote and then the coaches. Because the other huge caveat of All-Star Weekend, and this has been my big bone to pick with it forever, coaches will vote in the player that they think they have the best chance of landing, right? That's right. So mm-hmm. it's all like, oh, look at me. I voted for you for All-Star. I'm trying to get your money, right? So it's the political nature of all of this and not the pure basketball conversation, which you have to approach this conversation from. And it's not right. I'm right here with you that, you know, Trey young, it would be better for the league to encourage his growth on the national level than putting Ben Simmons in there. But Trey Young's not leaving Atlanta anytime soon. Ben Simmons has been shopped around. And I think teams around the league are trying to cozy up to him just like the Kardashians. Don't make it right. Get out of there. And still, and I'm just going to say it again. And I say this with the safety, knowing Ben Simmons will never listen to this podcast. He's just such a joyless guy. I don't like watching him play. I'm sorry. Smile every once in a while. You're a professional fucking basketball player. And you're not good enough to be that stern. You know? Come on. Oh, man. A couple other names that I, you know, well, Devin Booker's already in, but he already in. He shouldn't have even had to uh, be. You know, like left off and then invited in as as an alternate. Demontis Sabonis has to get in there. Twenty one and a half points a game, eleven rebounds. So who are you taking out? You taking out Julius Randle? Yeah, I'm taking out Julius Randle. A hundred percent. It's fair. Demontis Sabonis is a big reason why the Pacers are in the position that they are. Sure. Nate Bjorkman has them playing a really pretty brand of basketball right now. Sabonis is a big reason why the the Pacers have not missed a beat since losing. Oladipo and really have kind of reinvented themselves. Yeah, I can't argue there. So let's move out west real quick. Yeah. The only thing I west is probably even tougher than the east, as usual. There's 
a half a dozen guys you can make a clear case for in this. Uh, the first one, that's just not a matter of who is there. Damian Lillard should be starting over Luka Doncic yeah. this year. He should be an all-star starter. Um, I don't, you know, and you'd like to think that this stuff doesn't matter, but all we do is sit here and match people's careers and yeah. match their career records and stack up these numbers against other people's numbers. So this year, Damian Lillard deserved to be over Luka Doncic. Now I kind of have a wild card one again, which is in the caveat of Trey Young because I'm sorry, in the genre of Trey Young, because it's another player who's uh, not is carrying a team on his back even more than Trey. I'd like to see Shea Gilgis Alexander in there. This guy is having an incredible year. He's 23 and a half per game on 51% plus shooting high volume as a point guard, carrying the entire team of no names on his back. Uh, Five and a half rebounds, six and a half assists, a PER of over 22 and has OKC again, not supposed to be a credible team kind of inching towards credibility. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs or the playoff game because, uh-huh. I mean, fuck, that roster is thin. But this is where we need to reward guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander for coming out and logging 40 minutes hmm. a night, carrying this team on his back to credibility. Then Paul George, who's missed half the games, he's played well since he's been there, but he's not the reason this team's clicking even when they are. And it's the things we're rewarding here in the NBA that don't make a lot of sense. So if I was going to make one switch out there, it would be the bold switch out of uh, Shea Gilgis over PG. See, I am also would replace Paul George out there, but I'd replace him with Mike Conley. I mean, the, the Jazz are yeah. out here going straight up 2015 Golden State in the regular season. Like, the guy's a big part of what they do. I mean, 16 points per game. Um... 59% true shooting percentage just out here making a difference every single night. So, you know, I'm a big fan. I know you're not of rewarding the first half of the season. And with the with the historic nature of the Utah Jazz start to the season, give them three guys in there because God knows they're not going to get rewarded when it comes to the playoffs. And to top it off, this is probably Mike Conley's last chance to be an all-star, yeah. if you had to guess. I... I Dug that argument from a personal perspective. I heard a couple people speak on it. And I was like, yeah, Mike Conley. And then I dug into the numbers and I'm like, hey, fair is fair. You know, like you're having a great season. Team's having a great season. But it's just not matching up numbers wise. He doesn't have as big of an impact as some of the other guys who are in the game. So as much as I love Mike Conley, great guy, want to see him succeed. I don't think he's deserving this season. All right, Benny. Well, speaking of fans in the NBA this past week, the NBA may have revolutionized how we trade sports memorabilia with the introduction of NBA Top Shot. What's NBA Top Shot? NBA Top Shot is a blockchain-based platform that allows fans to buy, sell, and trade numbered, serialized versions of specific, officially licensed video highlights. My gosh, could that sentence be any harder to read? What makes it valuable is the number of serialized highlights... Uh, in the same way, baseball cards are valuable, like Honus Wagner. You know, there are only being like 13 of them around in the world. So that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Now, Benny, I know what you're probably going to say about, oh, can't I just rip it off YouTube? And, you know, I'd say, 
it, that'd probably be the difference of having a picture of LeBron James and owning his actual trading card. Um, I think there's a unique opportunity here with blockchain trading for memorabilia. It's unfortunate that physical items may be deteriorating in, in value, but think of this. You know, everything sports-wise in uh, on this podcast can always be translated to music. So I thought of this uh, for this blockchain trading, if you will. So I think there's a huge opportunity for musicians to make money. Like, say if you have a good show, and it would normally be a show that you'd put on a DVD, release a live album, sell these moments as, as like, like 10 of these blockchain cards. Like, imagine all the legendary performances. Like, like if there was only 10 copies of Jimi Hendrix at, at, at Woodstock, or, like, the Beatles on the roof for, like, their last show, how valuable those could be. With streaming services not paying musicians as much as they should, right? Especially Spotify kind of decreasing that that dividend. This would be a neat opportunity for artists to leverage what they do best, playing live music. So what do you make of blockchain trading of these moments? And do you see a future in it? So first off, as far as the video is concerned, like I I, I don't really know. It's It's uncharted territory. You saw a lot of it in music where there was a time when people thought it would be impossible for musicians and artists to actually monetize uh, streaming music mm-hmm. and, you know, give it 20 years. And they found out a way to control and monetize streaming music. Um, the way videos are being consumed, it makes perfect sense that people would try to own and capitalize on these videos and the ownership of said videos is going to be valuable. Now, it seems like this has already been the case for a long time with the sports leagues, particularly like NFL films and Mm -hmm. things like that, where they have very restricted content that you're not allowed to use in any other scenario. Um, So yeah, it it could work. It just seems like another evolution in, in protecting uh, this type of medium. As far as musicians are concerned, that is interesting. But my one caveat quickly as you're discussing it is the idea that like every single live event would have to be 100% controlled from anyone else filming it, videotaping it, any other stream or source of it coming in because people will just go to the B source that's free if it's available. So if you wanted that, I think you'd see an increase in like people getting their phones taken away when they walk in the stadiums and things like that, because you'd have to control the physical element of it as well. Um, so I think there's a lot to unpack here, but uh, I don't know. It could work. And it, <laughs> it seems like sort of the uncharted territory and people mm-hmm. will um, people are going to go to whatever lengths they have to do to protect it. Uh, and as far as the virtual stuff, I mean, I just got an email from the Nets a couple days ago saying if I, you know, sign up for something like today, I get to go on a virtual event with Landry Shamit where he's going <laughs> to sign something for me over email, <laughs> you know, where like literally you like, you know, download a some kind of PDF of you together and then he signs it and sends it back to you like via mail <laughs> or email and you know, this is just the way things are going now. I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I'm going to partake in much of it, but they're certainly fucking trying. I mean, 
it seems like a I'm just curious like so if you take a video of a play on your phone when you're at the game that's not valuable but if you like take the at the official video off of this topshot.com that has a serial so the only thing that's valuable is the serial number right exactly so that's where I'm yeah I'm not really understanding what exactly they're trying to protect you know yeah. um but if anything i mean the thing i know from huh. doing podcasts and being a musician is that these these advertising streams on the video services are becoming one of the new more major ways for people to monetize their projects mm-hmm. so uh you know people see money there and they're going to try to control the content that makes the money there all right, Benny, one last basketball topic here. Kyrie Irving reignited the discussion about changing the NBA logo the other day to Kobe Bryant with an Instagram post on Wednesday. The Brooklyn Nets point guard shared a mock-up slash tribute of the late Bryant uh, in place of the silhouette that is currently Jerry West. He argued that a league that is predominantly made up of black players should feature a black athlete as its logo. Uh, and you know I'm always quick to get on Kyrie, but he has a point here. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this one, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like it's so unoffensive to me that I barely have anything to say about it. Mm. I'm not like glued to the NBA logo. There's not something about it that makes me feel some kind of way. It's literally like a private company's Hmm. branding logo that somebody came up with and used the silhouette of a cool player at the time. I don't give a shit if like 60, 50 years later... They want to come up with like a new cool logo with someone else on it. It's not to say you can't ever use the old logo again on throwback gear and throwback merch. And then uh, you have this new logo representing something different that obviously a number of fans, there's like 3 million people on a petition and uh, a number of players would like to see. It's Kobe Bryant. You know, he's one of the major ambassadors to the league. You can't deny that. So it's like, yeah, sure. Sounds good to me. Ironically, the picture that he showed was almost the exact replica of Kobe doing the the Jerry West picture. So, I mean, I am kind of worried about us changing the logo every 20 years, but I guess that's the evolution of sports. This is something that would not happen with the NFL, but I like the, the NBA logo, but... The NBA is a league that will keep up with the times, and if, if, if this is what we're going to have to do, then I guess so be it. All right, final topic today. Boy, we, man, we're scholars today. We're talking about uh, block trading. We're talking about trading logos, podcasts, and now we're going to get legislative. The brand is legislative. Come on. All right, so Senator Jerry Moran of Kansas introduced legislation on Wednesday afternoon that would allow athletes to sign endorsement deals in the future with some restrictions on what type of deals they could enter. The bill, if passed, would also increase the medical coverage that many of the wealthiest athletic departments have to provide for their athletes and establish rules that would allow their players to transfer to new schools and enter professional drafts without losing eligibility. Huge. If Moran's bill is passed, athletes would be able to hire representation and sign endorsement deals, I believe, while still in college. Uh, The athletes Mm -hmm. uh, would not be allowed to endorse products during or immediately before or after team events. Schools, conferences, associations such as the NCAA 
would uh, also be allowed to prohibit athletes from signing endorsement deals with companies that go against their standards. Athletes would be required to report all endorsement deals contracts to the school within a week of signing them, and recruits would need to provide what deals they have to the college and the conference before starting college. Benny, what do you make of this? Um, so, yeah. So, obviously, we've talked about this before in the past. I, I am... Obviously, not obviously, I am for the compensation of these athletes. Uh I'd like that to be clear before we start. I think it should have happened a long time ago, and particularly in the big sports, the big conferences, the fact that uh, these players haven't been able to accept 20 bucks to go get food this entire time has been like an absolute travesty. Now, of course, leave it, though, to congressmen and the NCAA to start rigging a system that is going to completely still lend every advantage to the top. Okay. And let me explain to you why. So first off the idea there's a secondary part of this, which is medical insurance. And now they would have to uh, require athletic departments that make at least $20 million annually to cover out of pocket or deductible expenses And then schools that make at least 50 million annually will have to cover those costs for up to four years and cover a number of other costs. So right there, you're already bottlenecking every single top talent to the top money-making schools. Because just like a corporation or a business, you're allowing these bigger programs to offer more than the smaller programs to go there. So even though it's good these guys are getting medical insurance, you're also still managing to figure out a way to benefit the top institutions and only the top players. And to think uh, if you're not, let's take, for instance, the couple players who decided to go to historically black colleges this year. Do they still do that knowing if they go to North Carolina They'll be getting full medical coverage for five years after their athletic careers, or they can go to Howard and get none of it. So that's rigging something in place there to kind of funnel the top talent to the top schools. Now, secondly, as you mentioned, the prohibiting of athletes to sign endorsement deals that go against their student code of conduct. Now, I mean, fuck, if that doesn't open up all sorts of murky water for them to now be able to control who you are representing and to think that these colleges aren't going to come part and parcel with endorsement deals in tow. So it's going to be like, Hey, where UNC come take a visit. You know what I mean? Hey, guess what? Nike's cool with us. You know what I mean? Cause their campaign's cool, but you know, we're not into, Reebok is against the code of conduct because they do something else. Like there is like a, a murky, arbitrary sort of water that you're delivering again. And to make my secondary point, it's also funneling the control of what they're going to be able to do to the top. And these are the things that I can't help but imagine the politicians who are putting this together are you know, communicating with the NCAA and their sponsorships and their endorsements and coming up with a plan that works for everyone. But again, it's just not that like 
fundamental change that I think needs to happen. And once you start over legislating this thing, 20 years from now, it's going to be some bizarre convoluted system like we have with our own medical system for a private person or something like that. So I guess I was hoping to see a more sort of sweeping reform that kind of uh, didn't funnel all these things to the top. But as I'm sure you're going to say, in a democracy, a little bit of change is better and it's better than what we had earlier. I can't agree with that. I just think there's a lot of uh, a lot of murky water here that can turn into something else. I mean, the most important thing here is that these guys are getting paid, right? Yeah. Because sure. I mean, I've seen too many people that I've you know known, worked with that have you know they've they've played an injury happens, and then the school's like, "See ya. Maybe we'll cover your tuition." Maybe we don't. So immediately you got to state that there's way more protections for these athletes than there were. Now, you know, you brought up the code of conduct, which I think is a very interesting thing. There are schools, like, you can't have, say, like, a running back for Notre Dame have, like, a deal with, like, I don't know, like... A weed company. Like, bang bros. Yeah, yeah. Like, out here just being represented things that are not in line with the university. Now, if you don't want to go there, right, you can absolutely choose, hey, I'm going to go to Ohio State and rep whatever company I want to. That is your right. That's part of the pitch. Now, the the thing that's interesting and the entire reason that they're doing this is... The NBA, once again, is leading the charge. They see they're losing, you know, I think of of the top 10 last year, seven of the guys went to the G League, which is professional sports. I think they're making 250K a year. Yeah, G League League Ignite is getting more uh, TV time than top 25 colleges this year. Exactly. So the NCAA had no choice to try to protect their bottom line because that's what it's about. It is... It's in, in a way a lot of laws get done. It is protecting your own own ass by looking like you're helping somebody else, That's and right. they're only doing it because they're being pushed. I mean, ideally for a guy who's trying to go to the NBA, right? The G League or going to Australia is a much better route than going to college. I get the education, right? But if you're trying to go to the league, you can do that on your own time. Like like there's online college and stuff like that. So these guys are are trying to get paid. I applaud that we're seeing progress for guys who are not guys and girls who are not going to be professional athletes. I think this is huge for them. We're not going to have an incident like the UCF kicker who got kicked off the football team because his YouTube page blew up. It's not going to be like trickle-down economics, but I, I do think that the tide is going to raise if and if people can a market whatever they have to sell at the highest level. I, I think this is going to do more good than bad. Hope so. Yeah. Well, if you think this podcast did more good than bad, you can email us mm-hmm. at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com. Two Ps in there. Follow us, the tune-up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We out here. Everything. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz. One, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Everybody. Love. Everybody. Let's keep it saucy. It's warm out. Come on. 25% occupancy in New York for sporting events, 10% in New Jersey. We back, baby. You've been <laughs> listening to The Tune Up. <laughs>